Good morning. My name is Sam Riedel, and it is, I serve as the youth director here at Mount Olivet at Methodist Church, and it is my great privilege to speak and respond to God's word this morning. During this season of Lent, we here at Mount Olivet have been journeying towards the cross with a focus, a specific lens on the ongoing and difficult struggle of racial justice in our communities. Asking what the word of God and worship of our Savior Jesus may say and ignite. We have lamented, we have sought to repent, we have aimed at healing, and we have learned what real reconciliation looks like. And today, while we may not be singing, at least while I'm up here, we're going to be speaking of hope. And in our passage today, we encounter the great and dreadful story of Job. Appearing almost as a shadow within the great narrative of the Bible, we encounter the story of a man. And we are called to ask what that story of an innocent and righteous man who endured and suffered unjustly may have to say concerning hope. We land near the middle of the story where Job's famed endurance has long since faded. It lasts about two chapters. And the poetry and fire of a man who demands to see the face of God pours out from him, asking, begging, where is the hope? What of the hope for years to come, as Isaac Watts said at the beginning of our service, when we stare into the face of a man whose children have been killed, crops burned, and legacy, his legacy destroyed. If I may, let me read the opening verses of this passage again. A mortal born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble, comes up like a flower and withers, flees like a shadow and does not last. Do you fix your eyes on such a one? Do you bring me into judgment with you? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean. No one can. Throughout my life, and the youth are familiar with it, the standard practice of my engagement with the scriptures is to ask a simple question. What images, words, and phrases jump out to you? Ask that simple question, and many things will happen. You'll stand astounded at the elegance and the gravity that just leap off the page. Graceful language of the dignity of humanity resting on the firm foundation of God's own holy nature. Forceful language about our obligation as people before the Lord to live with equity and righteousness. And this language, this language, the poetry of Job that speaks of unjust suffering and the absence of that God. Job speaks as one who intimately understands the feelings, the grief, and the life of the disinherited, or as Howard Thurman describes them, those who stand at a moment in history with their backs against the wall. In Job, we don't see the bold rejoicing in suffering shown by Paul. In fact, we see a powerful and poetic critique of the psalmist's great claim that opens up the hymn book. 
Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path the sinners tread. When I stand before Job, I wonder if my inability to locate hope rests in no small part on my social location, on who I am, on the realities and the systems and people that have built me and shaped me, leading me to ask whether or not I truly have doubted the justice of God. In the past few weeks, I've had the blessing to sit and talk with members of the Way congregation who gather in the fellowship hall at this time as we've discussed this very dilemma, the seeming gulf and divide between my and our experience and with those whose backs are against the wall, as Thurman says. Jamar Tisby, the author of How to Fight Racism and something of our spiritual guide through this Lenten season, made a simple yet profound assertion in week one that has stayed with me. He asserts that a courageous Christianity that leans into these problems is about the people we become along the way and the others who we meet along this path. And today, friends, today, one of the people we meet is the stubborn, challenging, and difficult story of Job. He raises that while not so for human life, there is hope for the trees. The trees which at the scent of water regrow and can find blossom long after the sharpness of the axe is felt. His language, these images, leave me to ponder where Job actually sat in sackcloth and ashes. Where did he grieve? Was it amidst the beauty of God's creation? Was he left to ponder the paradox of it all? Resting in his own misery while seeing all of the trees laden with ripe figs and crisp olives. Perhaps in that moment he longed for a transformation of his body, like the young girl Pecola from Toni Morrison's haunting story, The Bluest Eye. Maybe he would have empathized with the young black girl who so desperately wanted to conform to the vision of beauty in her society, so desperately wanted to feel seen and heard and loved. Perhaps Job, like Pecola, grew to believe that his body, his whole being, was something in error. Or, like Ralph Ellison's unnamed narrator in The Invisible Man, did Job string lights upon all of his shattered life so that others might see him. No doubt Job would have resonated with this same narrator's first lines to the reader in the prologue, I, I am a man of substance, of flesh and bone, fiber and liquids, and I might even be said to possess a mind. I am invisible, you see, because people simply refuse to see me. Would Job have felt the need to make such a statement, to explain and describe his rootedness and reality amidst a world who felt him as other or lesser? My friends, I confess I do not know. I admit that when I read of the story of Job, it leaves me in a state of, as the poets might say, melancholy. 
an unsettled state, an unsure state, a place of disquiet, but a state in which very true things might be said, or at least no lies are spoken. When we read of Job and his sorrow, we are graced with the opportunity, the opportunity to stand before a story that may not preach, may not give advice, may not counsel or guide or uplift or console or endear or build up, but it doesn't lie. When I stand before Job, amidst all his fire and poetry about life and about God and the absence of justice, I am transported to the moments when I sat reading about Ferguson and Michael Brown in the New York Times, watching and analyzing Louisville and Breonna Taylor on cable news, sitting horrified by Minneapolis and George Floyd, absorbing tweet after tweet and video after video. And when I encounter the story of Job, I am led to wonder what lies I told myself then and what lies I am believing now. I return to Tisby's simple belief that courageous Christianity is about the people we become along the way and the others who we meet along that path. Wondering if my lack of awareness in those moments was based on my lack of relationships then, and if my failure to remain committed to the work of racial justice rests ultimately on a lack of hope, a lack of confidence that anything can indeed be better, asking if in any real sense a healing of our racial divide is possible, wondering what Job might say to such a problem, so vast and so painful. Well, our reading from Job ends with a question. If someone dies, will they live again? A simple, profound, and deeply troubling question. It's the sort of question a child asks that makes us jump and frantically call the pastor. (laughs) The sort of question that the students in confirmation might ask after a long and boring lesson on some random part of church history. It's a good, old-fashioned John Wesley question. Short, to the point, and made of real feelings and real grief and real longing. In a way, it is the deeper question that lies at the heart of our Lenten journey, lies at the heart of our racial divide and painful history as a people. If the vision of my life, community, nation, and people were to die, If the lies I've told and the lies I've believed were to die with Jesus on that cross, would I live again? Would I be able to make sense of my life, my community, my nation, and my people? Job leaves us where we are, waiting, asking, pleading, and praying. But if we allow him to, Job leads us to where Jesus was, is, and will always be. 
with those who stand in the moment of human history with their backs against the wall. The hope Job offers is that he offers to bring us to the foot of the cross where we can reside and are graced to be with those whom only the words of Jesus suffice. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And they will be filled, restored, brought to life, in a way unimaginable to Job and indeed to the disciples before they joined in this new covenant brought about by the water and the Spirit and redeemed by our Savior's blood. Unimaginable before the bread was broken and the blood was given for the forgiveness of our sins. When the renewal upon which Job waited and indeed the whole of creation waited began in a garden so long ago. Our hope and our salvation. Amen.